Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, March 27th, 2021. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So I was working out when was that show 200 recorded? Well, it was recorded at the start of the year. So it has been three months, nearly four months since we last recorded a show, I think. Unless my math is completely wrong. But we are doing two today to make up for lost time. And we're starting off with the one and only Martin Coombs. Now, Martin, I have been thoroughly enjoying the structures that you've been building recently. What has been going on in the hobby in the past uh, three, four months for you? Uh, for me, mainly buildings. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> it's uh, the, the weather has not been the best. Mm. It's been quite chilly. Uh, I have work to do on the garden line, but... It's not been sort of pleasant out there, and I have a need for buildings, so it seems to be the best use of time is to crack on with the buildings for the line, so that when I do get a chance to get out there and build more of the railway, I've already got the buildings ready to place, uh, and been thoroughly enjoying it. It's this this PVC Fomex mm-hmm. material is a, a relatively new material to me as mm. uh, a modelling medium, and I must admit I'm very hooked on it. It's such a versatile material in various thicknesses that can be easily embossed, hand-scribed, distressed, glues with superglue brilliantly. Mm. And the the material is basically sign-maker's material, so it's designed for being outside, it's weather-resistant, UV-resistant, so absolutely perfect material for model buildings out on a garden line. And I've seen people have built these as well and they've had their buildings out for two or three years and left them out all year mm. um, they seem to last quite well so i'm quite encouraged by that and i've probably well no i've probably gone a bit overboard on the detail <laughs> uh, of things but it, it's just the way i am i can't help it fair enough in, in terms of sheer numbers i mean i get what structures have you worked on in the past few months and i mean when people think of garden railways Structures are obviously important, but I'm getting the sense just of the space that you may be like super structuring this particular garden layout. What, how many structures have you built? What have you built so far? What are you missing? What are the plans? Uh, the first uh, one I built was a cattle dock. Mm. And I did that first off as a uh, stepping, you know, sort of dipping my toe in the water mm. as regards using this material and just getting a feel for it. And I really enjoyed that. And it was a requirement needed for the line because uh, of the line. I can't remember, I think I might have shown the plan at some point in Facebook, but the bit I'm doing buildings for at the moment is the bit that goes down the side of the house and overlaps out onto our, uh, goes past our conservatory. It's a 40, just over 40 foot long hmm. section, which is one foot at its narrowest up to four foot, three, three foot, just hmm. over three foot at its widest point. And in this area is the main station, Wilmington plus uh, a loco servicing facility and quite a substantial goods yard, to be honest, for mm. a narrow-gauge line. So the, the buildings I've done so far is the cattle dock. There, then I did the engine shed, mm-hmm. and then I did the signal box, which was a mash-up of the two boxes that are at Bregar. Mm. Uh, the, the top half is pretty much like the Warren Wood box and the bottom half and the steps and, and the access platform are ripped off from stony shore <laughs> the beauty of that is I, I have so much photographic detail Certainly. and measurements it, it's good reference to build so 
the signal box was was done and also to try out techniques because the the cattle dock and the engine shed were primarily brick mm. uh with um, and the engine shed had the slate tiles and i wanted to build a station building at some point which i wanted to have as a mixture of brick and and plank wooden planks so the signal box was an ideal test for that in quite a small area so because it's on a brick built base but the main body is framed and planked timbers so it was a good chance to sort of try methods out before i uh, did the station building in, in full and the station building is the one i'm working on now mm. and i was fortunate a good friend uh, jeff taylor has been building a four mil mm. layout uh based on uh brin oh, i can never say it brianin brianin mm-hmm. station which is a gwr station and I was following his, his build on Facebook, and I was quite intrigued by the station building he had made, which is off the prototype. Mm. And I was talking to him. I said, I don't suppose you have the drawings or any measurements or references, because I quite like to adapt it to, for my line as a narrow-gauge one. Mm. And he had laser-cut his, so he gave me the uh, Adobe Illustrator uh, drawings he did. Wonderful. So it, it was very easy for me to scale up. Certainly. Uh, literally four times. Mm. So uh, I scaled it up and I made a few adjustments and tweaks for how I wanted it to be. Uh, but it, it was a good start. And then I was able to print out drawings and, and produce the thing. And I've nearly finished it. Uh, I've just done the slate roofing. Mm. But still to go with a good shed, which ironically was, uh, well, I'm running. The, the good <laughs> shed was, was the first building I really wanted to do because it's the one that will be most visible when you're sitting in the conservatory. Certainly. When you're in a conservatory, you can't see the station building. And mm. you, if you peer down to the right, you would see the engine shed. But the one that would stand out the most would be the good shed. Mm. So I suppose because that is so on view, I really wanted to get my uh, skills together so that when I do do the good shed, it is really worthy of looking at. So that's that's I have drawn quite a bit of that. I draw them on the computer first. Mm-hmm. So that I can sort out all the distances, measurements, brick, brick spacing, and stuff like that. So, you know, I can problem solve before I actually cut anything. I've got a small project to do for the engine shed area, which will be a steel water tower, mm. which will sit on two brick columns, and which in turn will be on a little concrete base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that is so I'm comfortable with a brick and I'm comfortable with the concrete techniques. What I haven't done is a steel tank. Mm. And I uh, quite fancy having a go at that, mm. which I think should be fairly straightforward. Simon's already done uh, some steel work in seven mil. Mm. So it, it, it'll work. I've just got to sort of get on and do it, but it'll be quite a small project, which should be quite quick. Then I've got a coal staging sort of coal staves, which will probably be uh, I'll probably have a, a main brick base but then i'll build it up a bit with distressed old sleepers mm-hmm. which i'm not sure whether i'm going to actually use real wood because i do have some of them from the old from the sunday June layout left over yeah or i quite fancy making the sleepers in fomex and mm. describe for that so that's again that'll be quite a small project so there's that to do oh and the footbridge mm. will be the last one but i think i might have to laser cut that out of something Maybe plywood or or Trotec Trolay's uh, laserable plastic mm. because I think it would be too fine for fo- well you could cut it out of Fomex but uh, for the f- fineness I would want of details I think it might be too delicate mm. uh, and I want something that's going to be was going to withstand wind rain and a few knocks 
Mm. But uh, that's something still to be worked on. So that will basically cover. Uh, oh, and, and I've done a, a grounded, uh, grounded goods box fan, and I, I didn't draw up a narrow gauge one. I, I drew up a standard gauge box fan because I was always mm. been quite intrigued of how big standard gauge stock is in 16 mil scale. Mm. And I, at some point on the railway, I fancied a little standard gauge 16 mil scale feeder line, which may be a, just a transshipment siding where I could have a, a full-size wagon. But to, to get a feel for the space and volume, I used it, I made a standard gauge wagon and boy, mm. is it big. So uh, I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> so again, that's on a little brick plinth and it'll be distressed and worn and mm. little bits and pieces of detail added. But that will be just parked up somewhere in the yard, which will complete the Wilmington station area. Mm. And then when I go on to the next station, which I haven't decided what it's going to be called yet or even drawn a track plan. It's funny, I was measuring out today the space available because Ken's got the steel sheeting. Certainly. And, uh, he'll put that to one side for me when I give him the measurement. So I need to rough up the track plan. Then I'll send that to Simon to have a look at and he can put his, <laughs> his uh, professional uh, eye on the uh, track formations yes uh, which, he, which he did for the, the wilmington part i mean I, I put it down roughly how i wanted it and he came along and moved everything around and it, and it's it works well mm. uh, so uh, i'll be doing that for him but the next station i'm going to do the buildings in more sort of rough hewn stone and and type things like cotswoldy type stone mm. authentic being you sort of gone from a sort of more brick built station area into a different area which is shown by just the, the buildings alone you, you sort of you feel you've gone somewhere certainly because i want the whole line to be a journey uh, an operational interest and you know when people come over there'll be sort of tasks for them to do to perform a goods train or a mixed uh, passenger goods pick up drop off uh, so there'll be services they've got to run so i think that'd be more fun rather than just going round and round certainly uh, but there will be some roundy, roundy bits for the case <laughs> where you just want to sit out in the garden and leave something running. But I want it much more of an interactive experience. Certainly. Uh, so it's a bit more fun. But I thought if I do use a different material, uh, it will you, you will feel you've, you've gone somewhere, albeit about 60 feet in reality, mm. but you feel you've gone somewhere. But also I, I, I quite like to have a go at the sort of more rough-cut stonework. Certainly. And maybe some of the buildings being a bit more bowed in the wall mm-hmm. and... and little bit decrepit and <laughs> there's also uh, the la- the big project i think is i'd like the railway to eventually end up in the uh the big the big shed that you was in tom certainly yeah definitely to- definitely uh i quite fancy the railway coming in at one end yes and going the complete length mm. but i want that to be quite a a, a big uh industrial come harbor come country gosh because uh, i i'm I thoroughly enjoy making the buildings. I love industrial stuff. Seems that way. <laughs> <laughs> and with the, uh, I think the things like uh, the cranes, working cranes, certainly, things, which we seven mil, will be so much easier in sixteen mil. Uh, I mean, to that end, me and Ken have uh, got three uh, D printed sixteen mil scale Bedford lorry kits. Gosh, that we've applied, which are the kits are designed as static models, but you know us, Tom. Yep, they won't be static. So one's going to be a tipper lorry, mm-hmm. and one will be an articulated lorry. Mm-hmm. So we're going to need sort of unloading facilities and stuff. So, but because of all that working stuff, and it'll be quite shunting intensive. It will 
I'm looking to have something like nearly 28 foot long by about three Gosh. foot deep area Gosh. where I can really go to town on this sort of industrial stuff. So if the weather is a bit ropey, <laughs> we, we can sit in the shed and have a lot of fun just moving stock and unloading stock. But it will, it will also give somewhere else to go with wagons and bits and pieces. Certainly. So, yeah, my railway thing is, is really buildings. There's, there's not much else. I, I've started a loco. Which again was it, it's that's a laser and three D printed kit, Certainly. but I've, I've had to alter it because it's a. Off, we have the model at, at Breadgar, but the one at mm. Breadgar is, did not start off as a two foot. It started off as a meter gauge and oh, was regaged. Interesting. But when we regaged it at Breadgar, we didn't re, we, we didn't narrow the footplate. Mm. So it's a two foot gauge model, but with a one meter gauge footplate. So I've laser cut the footplate to match the Breadgar one and stuff like that. So. Mm. That's on the go. So, yeah, once I get these sort of buildings out of the way, I'm going to crack on with some stock. Uh, and the weather report is good for next week, up into sort of <laughs> the high team. Yes. Uh, so I'm also in the garden row. I've ex- started experiment. I've got a lot of gravel. Mm, yes, certainly. And it's looking very gravelly, and the buildings will help punctuate that. But I was I was giving uh, a quite a bit of uh, artificial grass offcuts, mm. and I've been patching that in experimenting that i'm really pleased with the effect and i'm working on ways of making it blend in more with the gravel and shaping it certainly uh yeah uh, early signs are, are pretty good and i've worked out ways of how i can distress it and change the grass to, certainly. to make it more undulating so yeah that's that's a, a pleasing sort of aspect of things i have a couple of quick questions your new medium of choice this plastic card that um is used as you said in kind of things that you see in people's signs in their front yards. I don't know if that's – I think they might do that in, in England, but they certainly do it in the US. How – my understanding is it's two different textures, right? You've got a kind of plastic film stuff, and then you've got the underlying foam. Do you strip off the plastic no, film? No, that's, that's the wrong stuff. Oh, okay. You're talking about, you're talking about Fomex. Okay. This, this stuff is PVC Fomex. Okay. So, so same texture all the way through, basically. Yes. I guess my question was associated with distressing it because certainly the one with the film, I thought, well, you've got some depth to it, but I guess with no transitional state, for want of a better term, then you could really go to town in terms of scribing it. And and if you apply relative pressure, well, can you get like brick, you know, brick textures or do you actually have to scribe it in order to get the the full textures? Yeah, no, this, this has no coatings either side. This is mm-hmm. the same. But if, if you think of some foamed PVC and then completely compressed mm-hmm. as, as an entity and you get a very nice, uh, flat sides. Mm-hmm. I, I emboss it with uh, micro chisels and mm-hmm. I also use, there's, uh, in cake decorating, you can have some sort of little wooden handled things. Certainly, yep. Nice. Know them well. And they've got a little ball <laughs> end. Yep. Certainly. They're great for embossing the uh, horizontal brick courses. Okay. The vertical ones I put in with a micro chisel. But you can texture the brick as well. If you get like a 40 grit sandpaper mm-hmm. and a hard wooden roller, if mm-hmm. you roll that onto the surface of the Fomex, it indents it and gives it that sort of brick uh, rough surface. Certainly. You can attack it with scalpels. You can attack it with razor saw blades, like scraping sideways. Very much like you would texture uh, basswood and balsa and Certainly. stuff like that. Uh, in fact, it's just like you can work with balsa. You know, you, you use the same technique, scalpels to nick it out. Mm-hmm. You can uh, you can laminate it into a number of layers and then whack in some wood wedges to make it bow mm. and undulate. Uh, if you make a mistake, you cut a bit out, super glue a new bit in, sand it flat, and start again. Mm. You know, it, it's very very forgiving. It's very 
easy to carve. I mean, five mil I cut through very easily with uh, scalpels and, mm-hmm. and uh, standy blades. Uh, I, it goes as thin as I mean, I, I, in stock I've got one mil, two mil, three mil, five mil, and ten mil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ten mil I would have to cut that on the bandsaw, mm. but five mil and below is all done with knives. Mm. Uh, and it, it, it's it's such a delight to use, uh, and and it. It glues so well with super glue. I mean, I, I did some early tests and I glued it with super glue, let it go off. And when I went to break the joint and the material broke rather than the joint. Mm, interesting. And I, I have since found you can glue it with mech, the mm-hmm. neat mech, not the sort of watered down slaters <laughs> mech, but the actual mech. Yes. Uh, which, which is coming very handy because when I make doors up using various laminations, uh, to try and get a lamination of a door frame and paneling beautifully lined up and down before the super glue goes off can be quite mm. quite challenging but with mech you can get it in one position lightly clamp it and then just wick in mm-hmm. the mech around the side mm. so just like you would with plasticard certainly uh, and I, I found that very very handy but, uh, but yeah it, it, it's a great so you can get it for free sometimes I mean if you <laughs> get a side maker yes. you can get off cuts and things interesting often. interesting uh, but also uh, some of our local supermarkets use it for their advertising things, in-store things, and then they mm. throw them away. Mm. So they'll be printed one side, but that doesn't matter because you're painting it anyway. Certainly. I mean, I primer it with uh, Car Auto Primer, mm-hmm. and then I just paint it uh, with acrylics, and then I just finish with acrylic varnish. Mm. That, that, that seems to work quite well. But it's uh, and uh, I mean, what we, me and Simon uh, do a, a bulk purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the stuff so we when we're getting low we put an order together i think we had over, <laughs> just over 100 quids worth uh, a few months back but uh and, and i buy it in the sheet size mm-hmm. that suits i've got i still got my old parallel motion drawing board from my old artwork days mm. and i buy it in the sheet size that fits that nicely so you know because i because i before scribing i draw everything out all the brick courses in pencil mm. on the sheet Mm. So that way I can make sure I get everything in the right place rather Certainly. than go ahead scribing and think, oh, no, I've scribed yeah. that in the wrong place. That was silly. Uh, so, yeah, because I'm so used to drawing with parallel motion board from my graphic art days, I find it quite quick. And, and I've got still all the tools for it and, and very useful. But that sheet size suits me mm. uh, down to the ground. So, uh, yeah, we had a, a bulk order come a couple of months ago. I'm working through it. <laughs> but I, it's nice to have sort of clean standard size sheets and the offcuts i don't throw them away they just go in a big bucket uh, or big and you 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 know little bits like if you get a windowsill well that's just a 40 50 mil bit of three mil square that you're just carving so out of the scrap box you get that without uh, touching a a sort of clean sheet so so, certainly yeah great fun second question second question steel in 16 millimeter particularly in your part of the world just has a patina to it. How do you get that patina on whatever whatever underlying medium you're using to make it represent, you know, weathered British steel? That, that seems to me the aesthetic, the coarseness in certain areas, that sounds absolutely wonderful to me. What are your techniques going to be? Uh, well, oddly enough, on the cattle dock, I use two millimeter steel rod mm. as the bars. Mm. And I'm just going to leave that outside and let nature take its course. Very good. So it will naturally rust. Uh, if I was uh, representing still, I would probably use the AK Interactive mm-hmm. range of acrylics and then filters and washes mm. 
uh, and probably stipple in a little bit of talcum powder for texture mm. uh, and just work it up that way. Will that work outside, though? I mean, you, you mentioned a steel tank that you, you're yet to build. How, how do you do that with the – I mean, is it just a matter of just leaving it out and getting the kind of natural patina, or do you apply something first and then let nature take its course? I mean, what's your plan with regards to the steel tank specifically? Well, the, the, the steel tank I'm actually going to make out of Fomex. Okay, so, so – I'll, I'll, I'll paint that uh, as a finished item, and then they'll uh, go back and add rust streaks and mm. things to make it look like a rusted steel, which I'll probably use the MIG uh, oil brushes, mm-hmm. which I've used for indoor stuff. But then I seal everything with uh, a matte acrylic varnish. Mm. So it, it's all uh, sealed. Well, I hope it is. I mean, mm. if you ask me in two years' time. <laughs> yeah, acrylic <laughs> varnish outside, yes. Acrylic varnish outside can be yeah. interesting, I mean, particularly with your weather conditions. So, yes, I, I, I'll follow up in two years' time. I think that's a very good way of uh, of putting it, Martin, uh, to see how it's all going. Now, we do have Simon Hill on. He called in. Actually, you mentioned his name, and literally at that point he called in. So oh, right. in, terms of, him, in terms of the model railroading hobby, any, any updates, anything that you wanted to pass out aside from the garden layout? No, not really. We've just been... Uh... Oh, actually, we've been getting quite going on quite well with the Zoom meetings. Got mm. really quite used to that now. In fact, we we did a model rail radio one. Mm, yes, congratulations, which, thank you. Which uh, I must, I've still got the the recordings to mash together and strip in, but uh, <laughs> the audio I think's come out pretty well. Cool. So uh, what I'll do, I'll piece that together and I'll let you have a copy and let you see what you think. Great. And see if you want to uh, put that out. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably put the video if, uh, on the on the YouTube. Wonderful. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that was uh, that was very enjoyable. Uh, it was it was nice to <clears throat> meet some guys and mm-hmm. swap uh, our stuff and share photographs of what. Did Peter Stimple call into that? Am I yes, right? He did. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, and John, oh, I can't pronounce his name. Simon might remember. And Mike can can I flip. Oh, okay. He's on two today, so we'll we'll have a chance oh, to catch up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was on, and uh, yeah, it was really, really good fun. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, uh, Peter Stipple is one of these people who I think has – you are kindred spirits. So the fact that you've been able to connect with Peter Stipple, I think, is is wonderful um, because certainly his background, um, whilst being more kind of architecture-related, his aesthetic, I think, is exactly – you know, he, he basically has very similar mindset to you guys. So it's wonderful that you've had the opportunity to connect with Peter, and he's also similarly – you know, on on the tech side of things, uh, very interested in seeing what more he can kind of push out of the tech side into the hobby. Um, so it's wonderful that you guys had the opportunity to, to connect. I'm really looking forward to actually seeing that part specifically. Um, but it sounds like you got together a good group. Yeah, it was it was good fun. I mean, the time flew past. Mm. <laughs> it, you know, we had to keep stopping and starting because we had our 40 minute limit. Mm. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it'll work right. I'll get them uh, stripped together, Tom, and uh, I'll drop you the files. And uh, you can have a, a look and a listen. Great. And uh, see what you think. If it's any use, uh, bung it up. Most definitely. Oh, happy. Most definitely. Well, you know how we do things. Sound the call, Martin. Yep. If anything comes up, please feel free to jump back in. I'll, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with Simon about a variety of other things as well. So um, thank you for calling in. And I guess our news is that um looks like the twins are coming a little later than anticipated. So they're kind of All pushing right. the boundary. Uh, and I'm sitting in my podcasting room which is currently just full of boxes because there's a shortage of lumber in the u.s which means there's a shortage of shelving and it just seems <laughs> to be affecting the entire u.s my wife 
two of the local stores and ended up at an Ikea and got the last three bits of shopping out of the local <laughs> Ikea. So, yes, it really is quite extraordinary currently, but my hope is it looks like the shelving will arrive about the same time as the Twins. Oh, but, Yeah, believe me. So I'm, I think probably the Twins might come a little earlier. But thankfully, we have a local handyman who's very good with, with shelving, and my view is I'll just leave him to it and then start the uh, unboxing and other things as well. We are just on the cusp of selling our house in San Jose. It's under contract. And part of that is um, the UK Escape Fund, uh, which my wife has said can't go to the UK until COVID's sorted. But hopefully that'll get sorted in the next year or so. I think your vaccination rate is uh, certainly far higher than ours currently. So hopefully airline travel and things will get back at some stage. Uh, but yeah, I obviously have very fond memories of, of meeting up with you folk and it will not be the, the, the last meeting by any means. So uh, thank you for calling in today. Looking forward to chatting with Simon. Um, and hopefully, I don't know, the uh, the twins are yet to define themselves in any meaningful sense, but hopefully I'll be able to uh, resume recording these things maybe four, five months after this. And since we've already been four or five months, uh, well, four months at least since the last recording, doesn't seem like that much time in any case. So uh, really looking forward to getting your audio. And thank you very much, uh, Martin, for calling in today. Always a pleasure chatting. Excellent, Tom. And thank you. And uh, yeah, I followed your move and glad to hear it's, it's getting there and uh, look forward to the twins arriving. Believe and, me. <laughs> uh, seeing you in Kobe's. I've had my first jab anyway. So uh, congratulations. I've got one more jab to go. But, Very uh, good. Yeah, look forward to it. Simon Hill, do you have audio? Hello, Tom. Simon, I have been following your progress similarly, and you seem to be spending quite a bit of time at Breadcar currently. I've really uh, enjoyed your Breadcar photos. In terms of the past four months, what has the model railroading hobby been offering to you? Fairly mixed, actually. I mean, it's only been three weeks ago that uh, we opened up Breadcar for the volunteers to come back, so that's been quite good to get out again because it's now stuck in the... uh, the workshop is all very good, but yes. the change of scenery and getting on with some, some of the bigger bits uh, is all very good fun. And uh, as you see, we've been progressing with uh, quite a few projects and just catching up Certainly. where I was when I left in December. So, but uh, yeah, we, we're cracking on with a lot of bits down there. There's still an awful lot to do. And hopefully at some point this year, we, we're hoping to reopen in a sort of smaller way, but mm. we just got to wait and see how the... Uh, the things go over here, as Marty just said. Certainly. His jab. I mean, I've had my jab now because most of the people at Bridgar are the older generation. They're all in that same situation, which which is good because it gives us a bit of reassurance. Um, in the workshop, as you see, I've been getting on with uh, quite a varied selection of bits and pieces. I suppose the biggest bit this week was getting my gantry crane working mm. after Neil uh, supplied the radio gear already tuned and set up for me. So that was just a... Wonderful. solder on and, and play and that, that worked really well so I'm, I'm very pleased with that and this afternoon i'm just doing the cladding on the the control room so that's just a plastic hard exercise which is you know it doesn't take too much effort and uh, it's quite nice to listen to things while you're doing that certainly um, and in the mean uh, last couple of months i've also built another two smaller cranes yes but there are only two motor cranes um and neil's Neil was up for a challenge and was chatting because <laughs> I'm just running those from either switches or buttons yet and I'm not deciding. And Neil mm. uh, come up with an idea of using a uh, small Arduino 
and a radio joystick. Yes. Um, and writing some script to control it that way. So it'd be a hard wire, but just using a single joystick. So he's, I think he's got most of the scripting done and he's just got to get mm. the hardware now. So he's, he's confident that would work, which saves me a lot of effort because having a single switch effectively to control both axes makes it a whole lot easier. Um, but, uh, I, I've not got any idea of how it works, but I'm sure mm. Neil will, will give me a briefing and uh, just plug it in and play with that. So it is amazing the the I think it's the drone phenomena. But what has happened to radio control in the past five ten years? I mean, I built a plane when I was in the UK and bought radio equipment for it and what have you. It was quite an expensive undertaking. Now, as you say, the ease of programmability, everything uh, in terms of radio control, just seems so much simpler. So much more plug and play oriented, and the price is just ridiculously low. I mean, it's it's almost embarrassing how expensive radio control was before drones. But I mean, you yeah. seem to be reaping the benefits too. Well, I think so. I mean, with the the gantry crane, that was uh, one of the small receivers, which is the same as what we got in the the gantry crane on the yard. Um, mm. I think the whole setup, including the battery um, and the plugs and the various bits and pieces, I think it's just a touch under fifty pounds, which. Is excellent value. Um, yes. You know, for what you get, and it, it works faultlessly. Um, yes. He's tweaked it so we've got a soft start and a soft finish Wonderful. on on the axis, um, which is very helpful with a crane because you don't want to power up very quickly because, then, as you know, the fine adjustment is the key. Yes. Uh, but you're right. I mean, with the, um, the other cranes, having the ability to use a, a joystick, which we're used to anyway, using the cranes and the lorries, and the other bits and pieces, it's it's a natural element. Whereas using a switch or a button, it's not as natural. And I found it it's a little bit more clunky to use. So, I, I, I mean, it's it's opened up that other area of automation again. Certainly, which, you know, pushing the boundaries a bit. And I'm sure um, what Martin's been talking about is extending into his his bigger shed gives an mm. ideal opportunity for a lot of automation in there using this technology. Uh, of course, in 16 mil, we've got so much more space. Certainly. Uh, we can build an awful lot more into it. And, of course, you've got more mass as well, which which is helpful with, with the automation. Because mm. even in this 7 mil, just some of the loads, you, they swing alarmingly, which on the full size wouldn't be acceptable. But in 16 mil, with slightly heavier uh, mass, well-weighted, um, it should prove very interesting. Mm. Uh, I, know, I know he's been talking about that for a while to, to go into the workshop. So that's... That's that's a good area. I mean, it's, it'd be so nice very shortly that we can actually all meet up. So mm. and have a play on Israel, and they can all come over here and have a play <laughs> here. I'm in a position now where you know it's been. I think the last meet up we had was summer '19. Gosh. Uh, yes. It's, Gosh. Uh, yes, I think we've all achieved an incredible lot in that time. But Certainly. that interaction element, which we've all missed, which uh, which would be good fun to get back to each other's various projects. Definitely, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about Breadcar because I think it's certainly the kind of downscaling through the pandemic and now, as you say, people are able to go back. What is the, I mean, what is the sense there? Obviously, the nature of the work that you were doing was very specific um, in terms of the, the updates on Facebook. But when you're there, obviously, you're there with a few other folk. What is the general, you know, thinking about what what a new bread, a, a new normal Breadcar when things are, are slowly returning to normal. What does that start to look like? I mean, at the moment, because we've got um, a chap there that's sort of a lead for all the volunteers, and he's been ringing around people just to see how they feel about mm. things. And a lot of them uh, aren't going to appear until they've had both, chab, both jabs. Um, 
yes, I've only had my first jab, but I'm working with the same group of basically two people down there that I worked with last year. So, and we're both hyper cautious in what we do. So we've yes. got some fairly good rules now that regarding how we manage situations there. So, I mean, in the long term, it's a different railway because obviously it's now Bill Jr.'s taking it over mm. and there's other ideas that will, will happen. So we're working slightly differently. There's lots of things going on. It's bringing it to a a way that we're all comfortable working down. I mean, there was plans to open at Easter and that's clearly not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but we just have to wait and see because the problem I think we've got at the moment is that the age bands are being vaccinated at the moment are 50 plus mm. and a majority of our visitors are mums and dads and yes, so, on. so you're probably certainly. looking at the 20s to 40s so and i'm sure they will be itching to get out but also very cautious in certainly. large gatherings um, and i think we come out of lockdown mid-june and that'll mm. be completely but that's based on the statistics how they're going so if it does happen in june then obviously everything will open up. So, again, we just got to suck it and see and to see what happens because I'm sure we all want to be in a position where we're all safe, but we all want to make sure that people enjoy what we're doing again. Mm. And, and we, you know, we didn't operate last year. This year, it could be quite late into the season before we operate again. So we're all rusty, you know. We're all, <laughs> we're, we're all in need of that yes. sort of quick refresher as to how we get on again because it is like anything. You do need to keep your hand on the handle, so Certainly. to speak. So, to keep that, that experience going. Um, and there's a lot of people I haven't seen at Brigar for over a year now because they've been shielding, they've all got underlying health issues. Yes. Um, I mean, we've been talking about ways we can do things down at Brigar, and it's, it is difficult because we all tend to have an idea and a view, and it all gets cobbled together, and out of that sort of mixed selection of views comes a way of working, and mm. that's how it was in the past. Now, we've just got to carry on with that in a way and uh, get on with what we do is entertain people and have a, a nice day without yeah. question and yeah there's there's still a huge amount of things to do i mean one of the interesting things is we've been sort of talking about um the boiler certificates for the engines that was no my choice. next question actually i was just about to yeah. ask that so what's the what's the plan associated with that given that this also is a kind of i mean it's an official interaction right you're dealing with with people to certify so is there any sense of a time frame of that returning to some degree of normalcy we've got a We've got to have a steam test probably in April sometime. And the mm. dilemma we've got is that the steam tests normally value for 14 months. Mm. Um, but we tend to run on a 12-month 12, 12 cycle. So our downtime is the time we do the, the steam test. Mm. So if you tick it in April, um, that, that will give us a full season. Any later than that, you're, you're actually wasting half a season because yes. the dead period of time isn't worth having to tick it on the locos. Certainly. So... You know, if we've got eight steam engines there, and we certainly don't want to ticket eight steam engines because, one, we, we're not sure how many visitors we're going to attract mm. and how much use we're going to get out of those engines. The Limpopo, which is out of ticket, that will be stuck out the back for quite a while because that needs mm. major boiler repairs. In Zambezi, which we had done the 10-year on last year, we're probably not going to ticket that this year. Interesting. So I guess I, I thought that they were 10-year tickets. The, the 14 months... What's the comparison between the 14 months and the 10 years? Every 10 years, you have to have a thorough boiler inspection mm -hmm. um, where he comes down, he checks all plate thicknesses, he goes through all the fittings, all the mud hole doors, the inspection covers, and the integrity of the boiler. Mm. The, the 14 month each year is basically uh, he comes and does a, a visual inspection and okay. then he will do 
a steam test. And after that, it's a test on steam test. He then gives you that 14 month ticket. Mm. Um, and it's, it's been 14 months for a while, but <laughs> we, all, we all, we all work around the, the 12 yes. months because it's an even cycle to work to. Certainly. Um, it's like what I was saying about Zambezi. It's not worth certificating this year because it's only just come back from major overhaul. It's fine. It works. Mm. It will pass its steam test because we've done those ourselves. But it's not worth doing it now because it's wasting what is a big engine. Certainly. Half a season. So yes. we've got some smaller engines, which are fine. Um, and I think we've got people showing interest already in driving courses and things like that because mm-hmm. they're, they're the days that really people do enjoy. I mean, in the past, I think we've done two. I mean, there's possibly two again this year. So mm. those, you know, are good days. Um, but you need certain engines. You can't have the difficult-to-operate engines for someone on a driver experience because they want to enjoy how a steam engine works. They don't want to fight with the engine. <laughs> at times we do because yes. I enjoy those engines. They're, they're mm-hmm. more of a challenge. But you want an engine that's soft to operate, Certainly. the regulator's easy, the brakes are easy, the firing is easy. Yes. That way they, they enjoy the day. They're not worried about, the things that we normally worry about, Certainly. which are the challenges. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at what engines we need for things like driver courses, uh, the amount of engines we need to run a smallish service mm. to start with, because we can always uh, – we've got diesels and standbys, as you know, so we can always supplement those. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that we need to do on them just to keep them on that cycle. Each Certainly. engine has a its routine we have to go through. And yeah. Actually, getting back into that routine – but it's so nice just to get down here and a bit of quietness, fresh air, get covered in grease and soot and <laughs> rubbish. Um, although this year, playing with a traction engine, that's a, that's a beast. I, <laughs> I much prefer engines on rails because <laughs> once you're off, you're off with a traction engine. They've got a total mind of their own. I've never really driven this thing. And mm. my God, it's when you see these bunk, bunking horses and you know, sort of rodeos, <laughs> it's like that, you're off. Yes, and it, to tame it, my word! I mean, it's nine nine and a half tons, so mm-hmm. it's a fair old lump. Um, <laughs> we've done a, a steam test the other day just to check uh, all the, the valves we put back on, all the mm-hmm. seats for the mud or covers, the washout plugs, and they're all fine. Um, but we found that you don't really want to put it away with 150 psi on the clock. No, trying to do minute movements in the shed no. is quite alarming. But no, I mean, I enjoyed what we've done on that. Um, I've done some lining out of the cylinder cover, and that was that was a nice ex- exercise. I enjoyed that. Looking at how these things were built, totally, completely different construction methods to the conventional steam engine. Certainly. Uh, and a, a different way of working them. You know, I'm used to a steam engine with blowers and easy-to-operate um, injectors with the traction engine. It's a completely different mindset. Mm. But no, that's a, it's a fascinating piece of equipment, and people really enjoy seeing that working, especially when we've got the trailer behind it, when they're being uh, taken around the site on the trailer. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a major attraction for certainly, them. Certainly, certainly. Yes, I enjoy going behind a tractor, but the steam traction engine is, is, is the icing on the cake for a lot of people. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. A question about Bill Jr. You did mention, obviously, the transition. And yeah. do you get a sense of his... I mean, there was some discussion when I was there associated with extending the track and having a, a kind of turn-back... Um, uh, you know, configuration and a variety of things to try to ease some of the, I guess, increase of popularity more than anything that Bredgar was seeing. Now, obviously, we've had the, the pandemic and that will change things in a certain degree. But was Bill Jr. the driving force behind extending things and these kind of ideas? And do you think now um, it really is his layout? Do you think these kind of things will uh, 
who you work in for the future or has the pandemic changed things? I would never say never because obviously mm-hmm. if an opportunity did come up to buy extra land down it, they might. Um, I think at the moment it's just consolidating what we got. Yeah. Um, and when even when uh, Bill Senior was alive, there's always uh, a need for additional volunteers. Mm. And I think that's something we, we've got to look at because the age profile of the volunteers is fairly high. And I think mm. by nature it tends to be the retirees who've got time on their hands to yeah. assemble. But to actually get... Um, younger volunteers involved uh, would be a good way for us to ensure we've got that skill base Mm. and that's across all the areas within within breadguard because there's so many different skills needed across the site i mean we're very lucky we've got a fairly young driver uh joined us three years ago and he's got two sons that absolutely Mm. mad on railways (laughs) absolutely mad which is excellent because they they understand small railways because their father is also Massively interested in 16 mil mm. garden railways, which he's got. So he's he's understood steam all his life because his father was involved in steam. Mm. But to get the children as they grow up, I think they're, a, they're sort of nine and ten ish. So it's the ideal age because those can be nurtured. They can mm. be shown things, you know, in a very safe environment Certainly. with their dad, how things operate. And in time, you can naturally see that they will progress to whatever, whatever they want to do there. Certainly. That way they will learn it naturally they're not they're not forced because we, you know, to train someone up to be a driver of any of the uh, items around it's not there will take time you mm. get someone that's a natural mm. from the word go or you get someone that needs a lot of nurturing and that that's a difficult bit Certainly. to get someone to nurtured into a position where they're safe and we're all happy with them because we all work together as you know mm-hmm. uh, that's an area that you know i'm sure there'll be volunteers that will come along and it's making them comfortable mm. uh, to what they want to do, and that, you know, and we've got to be comfortable as well. Because it's nice seeing new people down there, you get new views, and it takes the burden off a little bit. Certainly, um, people see the open day, and they see all these shiny bits of equipment, <laughs> they see everything working. Yes, but behind the scenes, it's the areas that that's where I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. The days when nothing's happening down there in operating, we're working in a workshop or doing track work or working on signals, even working on the tractors, cutting the grass, silly things mm-hmm. like that. It's all part of the whole process down there. Certainly, certainly. So, Simon, in addition to Brent in addition to the things that we've talked about, anything else in the hobby that you want to talk about uh, while we still have you on? Um, uh, no, I think I think that's... Uh, that what I've been up to lately. I've been like Martin. I've been working on a lot of Fomex buildings, mm-hmm. but in a smaller scale. Um, very enjoyable, very relaxing. I'm, I'm mm. not. I'm not that keen on buildings, but using this material has completely changed my views because it's such an easy and cheap material to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, still got Martin. He's going to come around and do some uh, coloring techniques for me on some of the, the chalk work. But Wonderful. other than that, no, I'll keep plodding away, and uh, as soon as I'll get the bits from Neil. For this new little project, I can do some bits on Facebook again. and uh, Terrific. Hopefully that, hopefully that will work, touch wood. Yeah, your Facebook updates are just really wonderful, and I think what it shows is you have access to so many kind of diverse areas in the hobby. So I really genuinely enjoy your, your Facebook updates because sometimes I'm like, just putting the pieces together is really interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, Bredgar is so central to that. Um, in terms of having access to locomotives and, and all these kind of elements as well. So I, I'm glad we had an opportunity to have a good chat about Bredgar today. It's been a real pleasure, Simon. Okay, Tom, thank you. Uh, so, yes, as I was saying to Martin, 
maybe three, four months' time. We'll see how we go um, in terms of a regular recording schedule. But thank you also uh, for the Zoom call. Um, I'm really interested to hear the audio from that. So thank you once again. You're welcome. I'd like to welcome back on Gordy Robinson. Gordy, it's been four months. My understanding is it's been snowing outside and inside where you are currently. <laughs> what is your uh, four-month model railroading update? <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Don't worry. Uh, that's my little. Uh, that's my little helper coming saying that he wants to go in the, wants to go in the layout room. Um, so my formal model railroading update is that it's been snowing a lot, and uh, we've got this the second part of my layout is now up all the baseboards are up wonderful and if you've been following my blog which is gordy.uk you'll see it's been snowing quite a lot so the main focus <laughs> is to get the first 20 foot in and um we've been working on that so i can finish my mmr and get my scenery certificate signed off and then that's me done so um that's been the main focus um so whilst the, be- the bench works up the most thing that's been happening is it's been snowing and Mini Prince from Canada sent me mm. a snowman, so we have snowmen as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, folks listening in, you're doing N-Scale, right? Yeah. And what does what techniques are you using for snow in N-Scale? Uh, oh, it's quite it's quite cool. So, um, basically, you put your roadbed down, you put your track down, mm-hmm. and then um, you get... It's called matte medium. It's mm. an acrylic matte medium artist medium and sometimes it's called modeling paste sometimes it's matte medium sometimes if you're really posh it's called just a sec <laughs> it's called uh gouache mm-hmm. um and it's it, it's kind of like a thick really thick white acrylic paint mm. usually you can mix colors into it and stuff but obviously for snow you don't want to mix anything like yellow into it so mm-hmm. you just you just paint that over get a nice smooth uh, coat now you can only do about a sixteenth of an inch at a time so sometimes mm. you need to build it up in layers Certainly. but you put you put that down while that's drying before it's dry you go in with your first coat of snow mm-hmm. then you put your um, foliage in and your trees in to your snow mm-hmm. and then it snows again mm-hmm. and then um, and then the final layer is to put in static grass snow drops off grass it doesn't stick to grass so you mm-hmm. need to do static grass last interesting and then you come in with dental implements and clear every single flangeway and all the snow off all the rails basically gosh, gosh. so it's quite a process but uh, it's good because you don't you can ballast and you, but you don't have to ballast everything because exactly. if track speeds less than 35 miles an hour the snow will stick to everything yes if the track speeds over 35 the snow won't stick, so you'll need to ballast, and you'll have ballast and snow away from the where the trains are running. But mm. it's 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 not that bad actually. It's quite a quick process now. Now I think I've got it nailed. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty convincing, I think. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I've always been an advocate. Particularly, I started when I, I guess when I came to this country. I was in the desert as I am now. I returned to basically the same environment. Desert model railroading. Very easy to do. It sounds like snow model railroading, particularly when you've got good dense snow, is also a good way of starting out. I mean, not so much, you know, mixing textures of grass and leaves and all this other stuff. It just seems like a relatively uniform process that you've mastered. It is, but but snow isn't uniform. Mm-hmm. So 
the the trick is to is to make the it's, it's not so easy to mm-hmm. keep it clean because you don't want any color in it. It's got to be white, and yes. white probably one of the hardest colors to keep clean. But yeah, it's not as daunting as people think. But it's difficult to make a snow scene convincing. And mm-hmm. um, whilst I like Woodland Scenics products, I I tried some different snow powders. Most of the model railroading ones are absolutely rubbish for end scale. They're just mm. too big. Mm. It's like you, you well, you snow. You, it, if you're not very careful, it clumps up and it looks like snowmen everywhere. Mm. <laughs> so it, it's just too big flakes. The flakes are just too big. Yes, kind of looks like you've poured porridge or oats over the top <laughs> of your, your layout. Pretty um, good. But but the the um, there's a there's a company in the UK called Precision Snow and Ice who are military modelers mm. and they make an they make a fine what they call fine snow. It's it's fine expensive stuff, but um it it it's perfect because it just goes to like a very fine powder. I guess the closest thing to it would be very very well fined uh, flour mm. um or or like caster sugar. It's just mm-hmm. it's just so fine of a powder, and they give you a sieve in the kit that's absolutely huge. It's got like two mil gaps between the you know the the holes in the sieve are about two mil wide it's it's huge whereas you're putting through a powder that's that's tiny through it but it works and it it does it kind of snows like the real thing onto mm-hmm. it and it clumps where it should but yeah it's not as snow's not as daunting as people think and if you're colorblind like me it's perfect because everything's <laughs> the same color. very good you mentioned the speed distinctions that basically on slower operating uh tracks the snow is different than on faster operating tracks. So, I mean, visually, that's got to be really very interesting and also quite informative, particularly because your layout is going to be an operating layout, right? Absolutely, yeah. So the one thing I would say is watch videos of what you want to model mm. on YouTube when you want to do snow because a photograph's a second in time. Yes. And over time, you know, it could have it could have just finished snowing before that photograph was taken. It could have still been snowing. And whereas a video is, you know, someone tends to stand there for a period of time so you can see how the snow settles. Yes. Um, so me and Annabelle watch, uh, my daughter watch videos of Byron Hill quite often in the mm-hmm. snow, especially when they, when everyone's out there in January and it first snows. But the rule of thumb is if it's a siding or a spur that, that hasn't seen a train go along it, then the snow could well be up the side of the, um, the snow could well be up the side of the rails. Certainly. If it's, um, if it, if it's had a train over it, snow doesn't tend to stick to the outside or the inside of the rails. If a train's gone over it, the vibration knocks it, knocks mm-hmm. it off, but it does come partly up the snow. If it's very wet snow, it comes partly up the rail. But if it's over 35 miles an hour, the, the snow, when it's just snowed, if it's powdery dry snow, will be taken away. There'll still be an element of it, so you still want to do like a snow wash over mm. your ballast. You want it to look like it's icy, but it would take away. There wouldn't be large deposits of snow because the train running over it would would go. Now, the thing is, that's the that's the running line. If you've got a siding next to it, the siding probably is going to be buried in the snow. Mm. And so it's important. It's good visually because visually, when you look at the layout, you would be able to say, well, that's the that's the running line, that's the siding quite quickly. And it's the same when you watch videos, you can say, oh, that's the siding and there's the main line. Certainly. But in the UK, it doesn't really, if, if it, on the odd occasions it does snow heavily in the UK, unless there's snowdrifts like there was this winter, mm. the snow doesn't tend to settle in the rails because the line speeds are higher than in, um, in North America. So certainly. you've got to kind of look at what your prototype is. It is interesting, actually, because, I mean, certainly the snow 
right the snow train video footage I see frequently is associated with fast moving passenger trains literally throwing snow <laughs> at great speeds, um, which I think is probably the viral video, you know, train snow. Um, and that you get the sense that that would completely create a different shape of like left snow um, than, you know, the slower speeds. For your particular prototype, how, how much of it is that really high speed train snow, you know, manipulation versus slower versus, you know, operating uh, yard speeds? I mean, it sounds like you have multiple different speeds of locomotives on your layout and, yeah. you know, it's kind of codified in the snow, which sounds absolutely fascinating. Exactly. So you can tell the line speed by, by the snow. So between, between passing places and between yards, there's less snow on the, on the rails, but in the yard areas, it's quite com- compacted snow. But if there's quite a lot of activity going on, then there's the snow. And then around you switches, if you've got switch heaters, it's a very distinct way of, the snow melts where the switch heating is if it's not got switch heating on then it has a crew gone and cleared that switch or not and it can tell you now if somebody doesn't clear your switch it ain't going to work so you need to (laughs) (laughs) you've got you've got to make it believable yes Um, but yeah and you've got different different running lines now the main line where the i model is a 40 to 50 mile an hour main so between passing sidings there isn't going to be snow um, so between yards, even there isn't going to be snow because on the main line through a passing side, and not all the time you're on restricted speed. Mm. So um, it's something I'm going to have to factor as I as I progress along the layout. The first bit that I've done is very much in in snow because everything that runs there is on restricted speed. Mm. So it's a restricted speed area. I deliberately started with that one because I wanted to to nail the heavy snow effect. So so in terms of your other hobby, in terms of the other thing that you do. Obviously, NMRAX ongoing. In terms of the board in general, I mean, you now have a, a very different perspective than you originally had. What, what what has being on the board changed in your own view with regards to the NMRA? There's a lot of work, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and I already knew, I already knew that. Not a problem. So. Some big pieces of work going on. There's some big changes probably going to happen. Um, being driven by members that are on the board. There's a lot of people that. Are changing on the board this year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there'll be changes as a result of that um th- there's nothing there that i've not expected to find but you know like my views on certain things are different from others and mm-hmm. um nothing's been negatively received they've it's a good group that listen mm-hmm. so i found it completely amazing the um you know your 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 rise and uh also as you say it did take a bit of time but the board is now quite receptive uh, to the stuff that you've been evangelizing. In terms of NMRAX specifically, what is this year looking like for NMRAX? Um, it's, for, for NMRAX, it's, it's looking quite quite busy, to be fair. Um, <laughs> every fourth Saturday of the month, we've got clinicians, tons of clinicians, so mm. wanting, to, wanting to present. So the fourth Saturday of every month, there'll be an NMRAX. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other virtual events going on in the NMRA this year. Um, so I guess we'll just see what, what goes on and we've got to, as a, as a whole organization, we have to decide, um, what the future looks like when we can do in, in person meetings and virtual. Certainly, so, certainly. and we'll see, but so, as you can see in the UK, we're still locked down. Yep. Still working with animals and children. <laughs> <laughs> a quick question in terms of the cadence 12, maybe 13 this year, are they going to be regional specific? Are they going to be? I mean, I think the nature of just the sheer volume of clinicians that you have 
it's, it means that, you know, it doesn't have to be regional. But of the, you know, 12 or 13 slots you have this year, how many of them are focusing on a specific regions? Um, so we're not, we're not focusing on, um, specific regions, any specific region at all as part mm. of the general monthly NMRX, but we are working with a few different regions. I recently uh, put together the Rocky Mountain train show online. Wonderful. Um, for, it wasn't an NMRA thing, but I helped them out because they asked us to. So I just put that together for them, like a six hour video of different, I think it was 50 different segments came Gosh. together. And we did that and we're working with the NER to put on, which is the Northeast region. Mm-hmm. We're working with those guys to put on multiple virtual conventions and uh, we'll see who comes forward. We're, we're not involved or working with anything to do with Santa Clara. Um, mm-hmm. Just to make that absolutely clear, mm-hmm. uh, that is their own group. They're doing their own thing. Believe uh, me, I used to live there. That, <laughs> despite them saying that we are involved, we're not. Uh, okay, good to know. NMRX. So, you know, and uh, but but we have lots of other things going on, and uh, it's good. And we, we, you know, it's it's good. I think by the end of this year, we'll have a different landscape. So we need mm. to work out what that was like going forward. Mm. Fascinating. Gordy, it sounds like you have a number of tongs and a number of fires, so I'll let you get back to to everything that you're doing. But thank you very much for calling in today. It's always a fascinating an update, and I have a new appreciation for snow. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, Tom. I just wanted to, to come and say hi. I didn't quite expect I would have um, the toddlerist. Don't worry. Out the Don't worry. And everything. No, but, no. Uh, I apologize. But... I've got that coming up in my near future, so any exposure I can get to that kind of stuff is, is greatly appreciated. I'd like to welcome back on Mike Kenefect. Mike, it's been a, a few months since we last chatted. When we last spoke, in fact, the last couple of recordings, I found it absolutely fascinating that you were using a, a novel part of the room uh, in order to conduct your model railroading hobby. Has anything changed since we last spoke? What's going on with the hobby and you currently? Still, still um, uh, generally the same, although um, I've been having a bit of a rethink on the the layout it's itself i mean it was still such stay in its elevated position for the time being but um in trying to to fit it into the the, the new space if you like which is different in as much as um um i can't get round sort of three sides as a layout Certainly. as I could in our previous house um so i think the solution is going to be to um actually expand it mm. uh, into really uh, from a sort of island type layout to uh, to round the wall so I push mm. it out it'll reach the the opposite wall uh, and then operate it from from inside uh, ra- uh, rather than um, than around the outside which it would be an improvement in fact it had been sort of bothering me for some time that it wasn't really ideal in its old um, format anyway. So, um, so yeah, I've been um, playing around with um, Extract CAD and SketchUp for a while, and just trying to um, to sort out the uh, the best the best mods to make mm. to it. So, three cuts, four cuts, expansion, but also the ability to add interesting stuff where you know in the expansion places. I'm assuming. Well, I think so. Yes, I think it'll help to. Um, uh, to, to obviously to spread things out a little bit, it will it will give a little bit more scope, I think, for um, some extra 
spurs um to to go in which were always a bit difficult to mm. to to think about before because they would be going into um really into the center of the the layout um if i push it out then they'll be able to be tagged on the outside so to speak so um um they can be a little bit longer then because if you if you're trying to push them into the inside of a um not a circle, but a circuit. circuit, if you like. Yes. Well, then the length is uh, the length is quite uh, hampered, really. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm just sort of looking at uh, at that and and trying to. I'm just trying to use um, SketchUp to mm. um, to get a an early view of of what the views would be from a mm. from a particular viewing position because um, uh, you know there are, there are things that want to be hidden um by few blocks or what have you and um your viewing height um influences how effective those few blocks would be i guess so um so i'm just trying to um model something up in 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 sketchup and and then view it from the appropriate height and uh, Mm. just to get a good idea of you know whether certain things can be visually um, visually blocked um, uh, or, or not, and that will perhaps influence, um, you know, where the new bits go. I guess. Hmm. Are you? Uh, do you have like stepping stools and things like that? To can people get up to a particular, you know, vista or the particular viewing locations that you anticipate through the room? Um, I mean, I'm just interested in height more than anything. That maybe people can. We we had another gentleman from New York City. Uh, I think probably six, maybe eight months ago, who was doing a, a higher than vi- like higher than visual um, or normal visual um, points layout, and he used steps for people to actually get up and you know have particular vistas. Is that your plan, or is your plan that it'll always be viewed from the ground unless you're doing something particular with operations or something like that that requires you to go up and and handle the trains more? It uh, it will need steps, yes. I mean, but uh, I, I guess because I would be um, uh, a lone operator, I, I doubt whether that would change. But mm. um, well, then um, it's, it's it's easier to please myself, I guess, over, over how this is done. But uh, yes, I mean, I just I just have a little um, little sort of uh, set of, uh, of steps, step ladder um, that that I can just go up and. Um, Two or three um, hatchways, you might you might call it, um, mm-hmm. in in the layout. So, you, it, it, as part of the as part of the sort of view block thing, um, it can only be viewed through um, I don't know, maybe three or four sort of viewing points. So you mm-hmm. you know you go up the steps, come up through the uh, up through the ground in that particular place and and view the layout, and then uh, you know you. Toddle down and and um, uh, just move your steps along and come up. Mm. It's somewhere else, <laughs> and, and I'm hoping that will just be um, will increase the sort of separation, I guess, of, of what is you know a relatively small layout. Really, um, it's interesting because in my podcasting room currently, I'm having un- uniform shelving put in, which would be at 92 inches above the ground. Mm-hmm. So I think of this very much that it would be relatively easy, particularly with the window being either a rather nice bridge vista or something like that, 
to actually put in quite a, a comfortable, I mean, it's a smaller room than my previous podcasting room, but certainly with operating interests and things like that, you could actually put a layout in at that height. What mm. interests me there is actually the interaction between the very edge of the layout and the rest of the room. So it would be nice to have track maybe to maybe an inch, an inch and a half from the edge of the shelving uh, where the locomotives could kind of be glanced upon as they moved. So you have, as you say, these points of easy access viewing and then the points of kind of harder access viewing, which could only be used with stepping stool, for example, that moved around. And I think you have the ability to do this as well. So I guess my question to you is, are you going to be experimenting with that kind of close track to the edge versus further away track from the edge? Um, and is that going to be an element in your layout as well? That's, that's quite interesting. I, I suppose um, um, at the moment the, the, the track is not particularly near the edges, but then again, um, particularly on, on the bits that, that I think I might add, uh, which should go off um, um onto a, onto a, a, a further wall that wasn't previously used um, that that might be an idea because that they would probably be quite narrow um, shells and, um, and and yes so you could I guess um, uh, see something happening um, on those uh, from down below if you uh, yes if you, if you put it close enough to the edges it's, I'll, I'll think about that. I mean, certainly, yes, it's something that I, um, the shelving a month, two months away currently, uh, there's a kind of shortage of lumber in the US, which just means there's a shortage of shelving. Uh, but I think certainly in the scales that I have, I can't do O scale in this room. It's just not, not permissible, but the nice little operating potentially, um, you know, Wi-Fi throttle or, um, you know, blue rail, uh, you know, locomotives running. I think there's a potential there to make some interesting, you know, little vistas, as you say. But then mm-hmm. again, it is, it is more experimental than anything. And I think what fascinated me with the gentleman who called from New York City, I think he was doing O-scale actually, uh, maybe Narragage. Um, but yeah, that you have these, uh, you know, you have an ability to have an interest in the layout without the layout being at eye level. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think there's Mike Slater, for example, I know has a kind of higher than eye level, uh, open, I think it's O scale layout, uh, that just goes around the room and it has no operating interest. It's just a, a train running basically. But I think the ability to have some, I, as I look at the room, potentially, maybe not, uh, I don't think I could do a loop around in here. It would have to be a point to point, which means I'd either need to have, I did have some amount of technology running it as well. You have the luxury of doing a loop around initially, but do you plan on actually making this into an operating layout or is this always going to be a layout that has more, you know, kind of, what's the term? Just like run around potential basically versus operating potential. Um, It's, I would hope to, 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 to run it to some form of operation. Um, and uh, only a regional idea when I first started messing around with it for a long time ago was really to have um, maybe maybe three scenes, if you like, so that was, uh, with view blocks. It would be 
uh, divided into maybe three scenes, each of which would have some sort of switching, some sort of operation requirement. But uh, but also trains would would be doing the loop, perhaps would run through uh, those scenes as well. Um, so that's sort of much still the same sort of idea. I mean, I don't know that it will be so much sort of car routing, possibly, or, or maybe just, um, you know, just areas where switching can be done and, and other trains can, can run through. But, uh, but I, I'd, um, I, I would want a little bit more than, than just, um, you know, watching it go round. In fact, I don't really want to see it going all the way round because I don't really want it to look uh, too much like a, a roundy round. That's the thing. So, uh, yeah, so I really do want to split it up. And, um, and con- make, try to make certain areas um, uh, self-contained in a way. Mm. Interesting. Well, I guess your description associated with the vignettes goes to that as well. Well, Mike, a pleasure chatting as always. I, we'll have another maybe four-month interval, and then we'll have a chance to, to chat yes. again. And it's going to be fascinating to see what direction you take it. As I say, for my room and space, getting the shelving up initially, I'm also really interested... I think it's called CIFAs, just pre-existing module-like components um, with the view that if mine uh, is at a height, it would be best to have ability to pull things down. And also, I don't know, I foresee potentially I might have another move in me sometime in the in the future. So I think, you know, the, the ability to have things that are uh, modular and easy to pack up and this kind of stuff, and also the size of the room lends itself very much to that as well. So... Maybe we could do this in parallel. I'll I'll play with mine, you play with yours, and uh, we'll give each other (laughs) feedback progressively. But a pleasure chatting as always. Thank you for calling in today. I look forward to talking to you in the future. Take care. Thanks, you. I would like to welcome on Paul Best. Paul, it seems like a lifetime ago that we were in London, wandering around. I know you got, you had the opportunity um, to meet up with the folks in Kent as well when I was there. In terms of your model railroading hobby, we always have fun when we chat associated with the progression of your layout. Where are things currently? What are your plans? And um, what has been the update since we last spoke? Okay, well, you'll never believe it, but I've got a baseboard up and running. Mm-hmm, very good. Uh, and I've got another baseboard on standby. Uh, but I'm just doing tests at the moment because I'm now, uh, as a member of Merg, um, I'm trying out DCC train detection. Mm, interesting. So, uh, yeah. So the plan is that the layout will eventually be uh, automatic or semi-automatic mm-hmm. uh, through various means. Um, so one of the good things about perpetually being in lockdown <laughs> um, is that I've been learning uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and I found actually something that really amazed me. Um, I quite like soldering. Mm. Uh, that's weird, isn't it? It is very so, relaxing, I think. I mean, it might just be the flux, is. but you know, I th- my view is that actually soldering is one. I actually, curiously, there's been one time where, and it's actually very close to where I'm currently, about a mile away from where we are now, there's a gun range. And I had a coworker that took me shooting one day. And I realized that actually, you need to be at such a state of peace in order to arm a, uh, aim at a target and fire. I felt the same thing with regards to soldering, because if you're too anxious when you solder, you're going to muck it up every single time. 
you've got to be in a state of peace when you solve that um, in order to get a certain degree of quality. Is this what you're finding as well? Yeah, it's a, a nice, relaxing Sunday afternoon, sitting at the uh, dining room table, listening to whatever's on TV, mm-hmm. just soldiering away. Uh, and I've been doing the little Merg kits, and they've been really fascinating. Mm. Um, so the the DCC train detector one um, I did last month, and I'm just figuring out how to wire it up to the track now. And for folks um, listening I- in that may not be familiar with Merg, it's, it, I mean, it's pretty well a UK phenomenon. I'm not sure if there's an international group that comes from it, but can you describe what Merg is? So it's the uh, Model Electronic Railway Group, um, and they've been around for quite a long time, actually. Uh, and I've been a member for ages, and it's only the first lockdown that we had last March that I thought, oh, I could, should really get back into into Merck and see what they do. Uh, and I uh, read David Dick's excellent free book mm-hmm. and uh, just learned so much about electronics, and they do all sorts of kits. Um, so th- one of them is uh, a layout control, so a bit like the, the stuff the NRA are doing, um, but it's called CBUS. Um, and it's based on the CAN system. So as well as having your DCC bus, you have the C bus, and that controls the layout. Yes. And um, and it has been absolutely amazing. I, I, they did a little online course last August, so I went on that, and it was only for a couple of hours, and they explained how C bus works, um, and then they brought out some starter kits. So I bought those, found my love of uh, soldering, mm-hmm. put those together, and now I'm just expanding from that. And then, obviously, at some point, it's going to need some sort of programming. So I thought, oh, I'm going to have to bite the bullet on that. So I've been doing um, inventor.io's 30 Days Lost in Space. Interesting. Which is absolutely brilliant as well. So you get a little video every day. You don't have to do it in 30 solid days. You can do it over uh, over various weeks, mm. which I have because I started it in January. Uh and it gives you a little task to do. They provide you with all the bits. Um, and we've worked through just turning on LEDs and programming <laughs> Arduinos all the way up to, um, at the moment, uh, I've got a, a keypad so you can put a pin number in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually there's a little OLED as well. There's all sorts of stuff in it. It's just a, a really good introduction to not just electronics, but also coding. Mm. Mm. And for folks listening in, uh, particularly folks in you know out, outside the UK, how much are the Merg kits? Uh, is there a membership for Merg as well, plus the kits? What What's the easiest way to get into this thing? Well, that's a very good question. So um, th- there is a yeah, there's a membership, um, and then members get access to uh, the kit locker, and then they've got lots of kits available. Um, at the kit locker it's certainly available worldwide because i know they've got members all over the all over the show mm. um in fact there's 107 members in america apparently interesting yeah so they are out there and, and the kits themselves are they you buy the kits from merg or do you get the kit information and then you know find your local you know electronics distributor and buy the components from them how how does that work i think you do it both ways okay they provide everything it's all sort of open source so Mm -hmm. they provide all the paperwork and the the drawings and you can buy just the um pc boards um put them together yourself so yeah they they do quite a lot um and they're reasonably priced as well terrific terrific so you've got one test board you're planning another test board 
How yeah. how is that going to translate into the layout, do you think? Right. So these boards will eventually just become storage boards at the bottom of the layout, the bottom <laughs> level. Certainly. Um, and I'm trying, I, this week, one of my plans was to measure the height of a loco on track with the pantograph up mm-hmm. and then a little bit of space above to see how much, how high a helix I'd need. Certainly. Just to access these bottom two storage uh, sidings. And uh, I thought, oh, I've seen the one I want. Uh, went to their website and it's down for a few days while they upgrade it. So, <laughs> uh, so I've had to stop on that for a minute. Unless. Yeah, it's so, so annoying. But um, they, they do, uh, it's a company in Turkey. I've completely forgotten its name. I've gone blank. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do brilliant model railway gear and they do this helix which has been specifically designed it's mdf it's about 150 pounds whatever that works out in us i do not know mm-hmm. um, but they do ship there and um, it's just a kit for building building up this uh this helix and it's based on the pico track interesting so, so i can have the you know just buy a box of pico track and then stick it on and away so uh so I've just got to wait for their website to come back up and then I'll probably <laughs> order one. <laughs> so the plan is five levels, is that right? It's something like that by the time you get through it, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and then obviously as each level goes in, I'll build up my confidence and uh, and my skills. So starting with just this test board and then expanding from that would be really good. Hmm. But I had a few issues with the test board because it was laser cut. And I thought laser cut would be great because you could just stick it all together and you're done. It was laser cut, but for some reason the holes were slightly too small. Yes. Your laser cut typically means sanding, fiddling, sanding, fiddling, and then it works, I think. I think the perfection, the nature of the laser, uh, uh, as you've noted, doesn't always ascertain perfection and sometimes leaves a kind of burnt bit that needs to be filed out before you can get what you want through it. So that sounds like your experience. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a couple of hours and we're done. And it just took ages. But eventually I got through it, um, pulled a few more hairs out. And that's why the other baseball hasn't been done yet. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So for folks listening in, can you reintroduce what your layout is in terms of era, in terms of the kinds of models you want to run, this kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, I've spent my entire um, career in the southeast of England. Mm-hmm. So I've worked for... Um, British Rail, Rail Track and Network Rail uh, on Kent, Sussex and Wessex. Mm-hmm. So that's the bottom right-hand corner. Certainly. Um, and it's going to sort of embrace from when I used to go to school by train in 1984 mm. all the way through to whenever I retire or give up. <laughs> um, so it needs an awful lot of trains. Uh, and I've been buying still. I mean, I've got <laughs> stacks, stacks and stacks of models. Yes. Um, and currently just nothing to put them on really i've got a running in track and that's about it the library alone on that area i mean just in the i think i lived in the uk for four years libraries changed within that period of time so you have you have a lot of possible options there um in terms of what you can run uh it's interesting i'm not sure if you heard i'm building a simulation currently to simulate operation sea line which obviously never happened but was the projected german invasion of the uk and that whole area, as you described, is the area that I'm simulating, uh, but in 1940. And it's amazing the amount of information you can actually get 
I'm using the ordnance survey maps, but also every little town, every little pocket has its own historical, um, <laughs> you know, historical group. Um, some of which give better information than others. That part of, uh, that part of England specifically is very much in my mind currently with the work that I'm doing. A lot of it is just boring programming work, unfortunately. Um, working out map compression and all this other kinds of stuff. But yeah, I kind of set myself maybe six to 10 years. Um, to get it actively working. And I seem to be, it seems to take between kind of two to three hours a night of my time currently. Um, but in large part, thanks to the folks in Kent, but also a number of friends I have um, in your part of the world. Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at this very, very, very specific time period. Um, and aside from, you know, everything that was going on in the Second World War, the amount of like town planning and infrastructure, and you can get so much information just in, in paper records alone. Uh, so, yeah, that's my equivalent to your model rail project in terms of time frame scale. Um, and yes, the finite amount of hair, you know, one has to pull out of one's skull. But yeah, I've always, I've always liked your layout because, um, as someone who periodically travels, um, in your part of the world, just the subtle changes in library alone, I think it gives the ability for you to create some kind of cycling clock potential. I mean, can you talk to just the changes in, in, you know, subtle changes, color changes, sometimes completely oh new? There's just so many possibilities, right? There really are. This is the, the most exciting part of it. So the, the plan is to have so that it can either operate chronologically, so through the years, or it can operate to a timetable. So if it's operating to a, an in-depth in an in-depth timetable, then you might end up with a bit of a mix of um, eras. But if you run it chronologically it will run through the years so it will go from british rail blue and gray through network southeast and the freight um liveries um of sectorization then into privatization although i haven't got very much um connex stuff which is what would have been operating in kent in the early 90s yes. um, and then it worked through the different privatized eras and it's quite surprising just how much change there's been. Yes. Um, so there was the rail track era for me. So that I was working um, in Kent mostly. Uh, and then in the network rail era, I was working in Wessex and Sussex. And now I'm doing Sussex and Kent. Mm. So, um, so it's like a really broad range of models that I can use. Um, and then I've, I've been trying to pick on themes. So I've got, um, when I worked at City Mall Signal Box, we, used to have uh, freight trains coming in for the paper mill mm. and then for Sheerness still. So I'm doing um, some research on that and I've bought some uh, oxygen tank wagons and a few Gosh. other bits and bobs so that I could put a freight train together that I would have uh, been watching shunting from the signal box window. Yes. So many possibilities. So many possibilities, ah. Paul Best. <laughs> <That really is. laughs> that's why I need so much storage. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, well, our hobbies, our hobbies. Thank you very much for calling in today. It's a pleasure catching up. And uh, as I said to my other friends in, the, in your part of the world, um, yeah, the plan is definitely to get back uh, at some stage. Twin girls make it more interesting, but I'm sure my hope is, my hope is at least, that their love of uh, your part of the world will be just the same as my love of your part of the world. Uh, but pleasure catching up. And, uh, yeah, please stay on for the rest of the call. And if anything comes up, you know what to do. Great chatting. Brilliant. Thank you.
I would like to welcome back on Mike O'Donny. Mike, this move has been extraordinary. Our house in San Jose is under contract. I don't think I would have wished it on many people. I don't know how we worked out, you know, property, three property sales and acquisitions through this period of time. But somehow we made it to here. In terms of Silicon Valley lines, in terms of your own kind of model railroading stuff, I'm assuming you've gotten the shots and, you know, that part of it has, has moved on from you. But what, what's your, what's your, what's been going on in the past four months since we last talked? And what's your projection for the summer like? Okay. Well, let's see. I do have the shots, so I'm all fully vaccinated. Um, I have been checking in with Silicon Valley lines on their, um, um, their, their Zoom calls. And I've asked if I can come down for, to be a coach. In other words, be a conductor. Mm. When someone is doing a uh, a virtual session, because it's always nice to have warm bodies to put the put the cars back on the track and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm looking, you know, pretty soon that county will let me come down because right now they're limited to, I think, six or eight people in the building at any one time. Um, and other than that, um, I have been working on modules. I have a uh, an oddball tangent that a friend of mine started he mm. is making a we have a we have a railroad line that runs between uh essentially the east bay from pleasanton mm-hmm. all the way up past walnut creek up to like avon which is near concord mm-hmm. and he wants to model it so mm-hmm. each of us has about 10 feet of eight to ten feet of modules to make so i have alamo which is just above danville and I've been working on that. In fact, doing that right now. Wonderful. And, and hey, as a quick tangent, mm-hmm. what kind of wood are you looking for? Are you looking for raw wood or are you looking for finished shelves? Um, well, I've already ordered the shelves, so I'm just waiting for them to be oh, okay. uh, to arrive. Okay. I used to make shelving, um, and if I'd done this, if I'd been smart in any way, shape, or form, I would have made my own shelves. Uh, but the nature of the house is um, not like. The house I'm currently in is the antithesis of my former house. So um, I think Michelle wanted kind of uniform store-bought, well, not even store-bought, like shelving. Um, And uh, anyway, so we are where we are with me not having shelves currently. Okay, otherwise otherwise I'd I'd find you some lumber and make a trip down there and give you some lumber. So uh, um, like you say, it's hard to find lumber. So you go around to 10 different lumber yards to get enough pieces for what you want to do. And uh, and since I'm here, I can do that. So, the shortage of lumber. The, other, the shortage of lumber yeah. is is people having more time on their hands. COVID, people putting more work into their houses currently. I mean, it is really a very strange phenomena. But it's also amazing how well picked over. If, if you're a bibliophile, if people are bibliophiles, they'll be familiar with ABE Books, which is basically a catalogue of every secondhand bookstore in the world. And right. I think there's a, a need for like ABE lumber or something like that. It's yeah, a catalog yeah. of all the lumber. Because this current phenomena is just really very strange. Now, in terms yeah. of um, the summer months, yes. What is the what? What are you, you're building modules currently? Right. Do you anticipate that you're going to be meeting people out in the you know? Uh, do you anticipate open air meets? To what what kind of things are you looking forward to? I expect clubs and meets to start opening up. Um, June will be the will be the San Francisco Bay Area uh, RPM um, railroad prototype meet in in Richmond. So I expect that to go on as planned because by then enough young people. We, we, I don't know if you heard 
but they're opening up vaccines to everybody in California starting April 15th. So, so yeah. you can walk, you can walk, you can get shot. Now, as it is right now, people have been essentially, um, they've been kind of weaseling their way to get a shot, you know, like say, well, I'm a caregiver for an 84 year old. Well, you're 22 years old as well. Yeah. But they, people have been getting in. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there is, it's fairly easy to get vaccinated nowadays, particularly with the Johnson and Johnson, because once you get one, you're all set. Yeah. And, uh, Although the, the, um, I guess what they call the efficacy rate is not that high with Johnson and Johnson compared to the two shots. So who knows? Well, well here's, here's my thoughts. I don't mind getting sick. I do mind dying. So, <laughs> John, the Johnson and Johnson works just as good as the other two, as far as presenting, preventing you from going to the hospital. So, um, so yeah, you, you may get sick more than a, a Pfizer or a, a two shot, um, um, they're in a two shot protocol, but, the net result is um, at the end of the day or the end of the year, you'll still be alive no matter which one you get. So, yes. um, I mean, it's a whole lot better than nothing. Amen. Amen. And uh, so, so uh, I expect by June, um, um, things will start com- getting back to normal. Um, I believe the, um, I believe that the San, I mean, St. Louis convention is a go for uh, 2022. Mm. So that's all set for August of 2022. Um, there is a, a mid-Atlantic RPM in September, and then there's a Northeast region convention in October. So I'm set for those, those three, June, September, and October. Um, July and August, I don't have any place to go yet, but I mean, uh, if something came up within um, uh, a reasonable distance, I would probably drive out to it. So a, uh, a, a, Seattle, Portland, um, Reno, you know, San Diego, Las Vegas, LA. Um, there's, there, there are a collection of things out there that happen that aren't official NMRA Certainly. events. Certainly. But they're, you know, they can be good. So, uh, so, uh, November 2021, <laughs> um, that should be good. Train Fest. Uh, I want to go to, um, Train yes. Fest. I do want to go to Train Fest and I can't yes. think of a better year to go to Train Fest. Oh, man. That. Um, that's, should be good. We have a, um, we have, I've often talked about this West Coast Train West. Train Fest West. West. Yes. Yes. I've, I've stolen Train Fest and I've stolen Train West from England. Now, obviously, um, English copyright law and the fact that they're, you know, eight time zones away doesn't mean people will get confused. So I don't know what I'm going to call it, but mm. we have this thing called International Rail Fair and the challenge is that where we want to hold it, which is the Scottish Rite Temple in Sacramento, is being used as a vaccination site. Certainly. So uh, whether or not we'll be able to get it uh, is up in the air. And I think that we would have to get would have to get notified by about July, August. Yes. Because it takes about two or three months for vendors and everyone else to line line up visiting it. And, and our hope was to get. Um, was to, you know, we, we basically met in the past. We met the same weekend as Train Fest. Mm. So we were much smaller. So we didn't get any of the manufacturers. Now, my goal is to see us get the manufacturers. Interesting. So uh, uh, we could because this doesn't lock them out. And certainly the, um, the Midwest to West, you know, the uh, soundtracks and the uh, um, scale trains and train life and all those guys and plus mm. the guys up in Campbell's, Katie, um, was it, was it Microtrains or whatever? Yep, in, certainly. In Oregon, um, that 
collection of of companies which are kind of under one hat um, mm-hmm. would come. So so I'm hoping that'll happen. So uh, um, as it is, we've had we've had a lot of hiccups in the past three four years with the West Coast shows, and it's not COVID. It's yes, certainly pre pre COVID. There's been we did a narrow gauge convention and. People wanted to give clinics. They couldn't get a hold of the clinics chairman. Um, they wanted to do layout tours, and yes. nobody had a list of the layout tours. Let's so draw a veil under that. Visit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, I mean, we're some of us held dinners where we thought other people were going to attend, and they couldn't quite make it. So, yes, yes, the Narragansett yeah, Convention and, was a an experience. And, and, <laughs> and there were three or four other ones like that. Uh, in fact, the only the last really good successful. Um, convention around here was the rpm that we had two years ago so uh so somehow they seem to um have the have the organization skills there so so yeah um um there was a convention in fargo north dakota that's pretty soon and i went and looked for tickets and i could get a ticket to minneapolis round trip for 85 bucks (laughs) so i said hey my plane ticket costs less than your registration fee so i said it it crossed my mind to go to that just for, for the um, for the fun of it, because it'd be like an eight-hour drive from Minneapolis to Fargo, but there's about a dozen train museums along the way, so it would take me two or three days to get there and two or three days to get back. And uh, um, and uh, and that area is kind of a part of the country that you're not going to get to um, by luck or circumstance. You kind of have to plan on it. So uh, and uh, so. Um, and the convention was not having layout tours, and they were not having op sessions. They were just doing the convention. So interesting. Well, otherwise, it would have been a it would have been a slick trip. So yes. So anyway, I'm, my my traveling is going to crank up about June, and then um, by September, October, November, I'll be on planes. So mm-hmm. uh, and uh, although I've saved saved a lot this year, uh, so I can get a <laughs> get a three D printer and a saw stop table saw. So uh, gosh. That's my travel money I didn't spend in 2021, so or 2020. So uh, um, yeah, I'll get the saw stop fairly soon. I'll let you know how it is. Um, that's worth doing. In other words, yes. What's your thumb? What's your thumb worth? Believe yeah. me. Yeah. No, I remember when um, the maker, uh, the maker community had uh, uh, buildings in San Jose. But my wife's log arm sewing machine came from that. And they had, uh, as you say, it's a like a shotgun shell that they fire into the into the blade to stop it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is exactly your thumb what worth? What is your thumb worth? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, you. I think you would get a small nick on your thumb. You, well, worst. you need it needs to have fluid, right? It stops on the fluid part. So yeah, you, yeah. You, you, the nick is the thing that actually sets it off. Yeah, but, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you I was, provided a lot of food know, for thought, Mike. I don't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I'm not doing a whole lot of modeling right now. I'm doing I'm doing module legs. Yes, which are which are kind of fun. I should post pictures on the uh, website because it's definitely. My, I'm doing the nerds version, nerd version of legs. So uh, very good. But that's what I've been up to. So good to hear from you. Congratulations on the on the babies. That's going to be great. It will be when they when they arrive. They they seem very comfortable where they are currently and don't seem to want to be doing any movement. So, yeah, my viewers. Well, you you've heard the legend that most fighter pilots and most motorcycle riders tend to have girl babies. Have you heard that? I'm well aware of the testosterone and various other shifts associated with it. So, I'm um, yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm aware of the, uh, survival chemistry, um, uh, that relates right. to uh, these kind of things. Um, I, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations again and uh, good luck in your shelving. Thank you. Pleasure chatting as always, uh, Mike. And yeah, we'll talk in three, four months time. And if you've oh, started your touring, we'll get updates associated with that. Yeah, I'll call in this afternoon when you get on cool. your second, cool. second round. You don't, I don't need to talk. I just like listening to all the guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking forward to uh, this afternoon as well. Anticipating quite a few okay. interesting callers too. Mike, a pleasure as always. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Great. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> I would like to welcome on a gentleman who I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I thought we might get some model rail radios while I was off. I didn't anticipate him starting a podcast or at least being a, a founding member of a podcast, which I have to recommend to folks, the Twin Cities NMRA podcast. Hard to find on iTunes, but if you go to their website, uh, the NMRA website for the Twin Cities, it's a link at the bottom. Congratulations for a start, Mike. This is really a good podcast. I know it's Tom Gazer's baby, fundamentally, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's Tom, Tom's baby. Uh, he he wanted to do a topic on electrified railways, so he asked asked uh, Jim and myself if uh, we'd be guests on the show. So yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, that uh, and I do apologize for I'm teasing not you. doing any I'm recordings. Teasing I'm teasing you, Mike. Don't <laughs> no need <laughs> with, to apologize. With everything going on and then trying to get uh, Train Fest kick started here, um, uh, it's uh, didn't. In fact, Clark uh, went to me a few weeks ago. <laughs> Weren't you supposed to do some recording for Tom? <laughs> well, so. my perspective on this thing is that the the quality that has come through the Twin Cities podcast. I was just listening to it. I was listening to your episode actually just before starting this. Just hats off to Tom uh, and all his work. I think. It's a natural progression from the stuff that he's done on uh, Twitter and, you know, a variety of other points. But the thing that I like most about it was actually the tone. Like he sets just a, it, it's familiar to me. It's like the tone that basically I want to set for model rail radio. So Tom, hats off to you. If folks are looking for a new podcast to listen to, uh, in the gaps in model rail radio, I thoroughly recommend the Twin Cities podcast. Obviously there are a bunch of other podcasts, AML network, etc. Um, but yeah, I really like what Tom is doing there. Uh, and, you know, Jim Morent is someone who I just like hearing from as well. So the combination of you, Tom, and Jim, untouchable nights later. Yeah. So in terms of the hobby, it's been four months since we last had an opportunity to chat. Obviously, you're now talking about TrainFest as an on-location traditional, let's call it a traditional <laughs> um, convention. Talk me through that process. That's got to be a... That's got to be a really interesting thought process yeah, to get well, this thing together. Well, there there's still a lot of unknowns mm -hmm. uh, as far as what regulations may be in place in November. Um, we don't know if there'll be mask mandates. We don't. There's been nothing set in stone for uh, increased aisle widths mm -hmm. for greater social distancing. Uh, basically, currently we've been kind of told you know the fire department hasn't increased the the aisle widths you know and as far as we you know the venue location everything is as it was two years ago uh of course uh there's been some discussion of 
maybe for this particular year, decreasing the number of layouts or decreasing mm -hmm. some of the larger layout spaces to uh, increase aisle mm -hmm. with uh, just uh, uh, give that uh, cozier, uh, you know, we're, we're looking into what we can possibly do to uh, benefit everybody's health uh, yeah, in the type of scenario. Uh, of course, last year we weren't able to do train fest because uh, the state uh, decided that that was going to be a, a backup uh, COVID-19 hospital. Uh, thank God that only, uh, I think, about a total of 9 to 12 people uh, used the facility, and that wasn't the most severe cases. Those were, were cases that uh, they were on the homeward bound stretch, but the mm -hmm. hospital needed uh, the bed for more severe cases so yes. um so it, it was good that it was set up unfortunately uh it did hurt the venues uh, certainly bottom line in that uh yeah uh, but uh, but besides train fest uh, uh still been working on trolley models mm -hmm. uh, in fact uh a uh, few weeks about a month ago uh picked up some more brass models from a, a private uh collection where the guy was downsizing his uh, trolley collection and Gosh. Uh, I bought a few and uh, of course Andy Breaker that's been on the mm -hmm. podcast bought quite a few in fact <laughs> he's got another batch of models coming from this individual and, Gosh. Um, so that's interesting kind of I'll buy your collection over time so what he put down some money and said and in the next few months I'm going to buy these and in the next few months I'm going to buy these is that is that the way it worked yeah. out yeah, I, in fact, I did that about a year and a half ago, two years ago, with a, a gentleman that lives in uh, Las Vegas. Interesting. Uh, he had originally lived in the Midwest in the Chicagoland area and mm -hmm. had bought all these models, and he ended up listing a few of them on eBay, and uh, I bought the two models, and he sent me, with the second one I bought, he sent me a, a note in the, the box saying, hey, I have more, and mm -hmm. here's a list of, you know, if you're interested, Gosh. send me an email. And I sent him an email, and... Uh, told him I was interested in everything he had on the, had on the list except for one item, which I already had. But Gosh. I told him there was no way I, I could afford everything. He goes, oh, I, I wouldn't expect you to be able to pay for everything at once. So we made arrangements where I would uh, send him PayPal payments, you know, cool. every month. And and um, wow. Uh, initially, he was sending when I had one model paid off. He would send me the model. I eventually I just told him, you know, hey, let's just save on the shipping costs and. You know, let's uh, put ship two or three models at one time instead Wonderful. of uh, uh, shipping one at a time. And yes. uh, so I ended up buying his whole entire collection of uh, brass models. So uh, you find a lot of times in, in private sales like that, uh, a lot of the individuals are willing to work with you because they, they know that, A, it's the models being sold, and uh, uh, B, as long as they don't need the money right off the bat, uh, you know they know you're good for it. Yeah, the notion of going to a good home is really an important one. And I think um, you certainly, you know, once someone acknowledges that you're clearly passionate and, and interested in the same kind of things that they're interested in, the notion that these things are being continued on is incredibly important, I think, to people. Um, oh, you know. In fact, the uh, gentleman that I bought the brass models from Vegas were, were now Facebook friends, and he always enjoys seeing uh, all my models that I'm painting and cool. are uh, – our Northwest Traction Group uh, uh, layout growing and everything running on a layout compared to when he owned the models, they sat in the boxes in, me. in a closet yeah. for 20-some <laughs> years. So. Yes. 
Yeah, I very occasionally buy old um, uh, armies, uh, toy soldier armies from people. And the follow-on, particularly, as you say, they're never painted, they're in a box, what have you. I send them on to a professional painter who paints them over time, but at least those photo updates are really important for the people that I've bought these armies from because it gives them a sense that, yes, they are true They'll go in a box and what have you after the paint. Yeah, they, but they will be they, professionally they went, painted. <laughs> they, they, they went to a home that they're being appreciated exactly. and enjoyed. Yeah, the full the full depth. And I think um, with model railroading specifically, as you say, the passion and particularly the regional passion um, that you show, it's got to rub off very well on, on the people that are selling you uh, these kind of things. So, Summer, before Train Fest, are you planning on, uh, you know, any... Any get-togethers? Are there any thoughts of you know meeting outside and putting together modular layouts? What's the what's the plan for the summer? Well, um, be pretty much my typical summers that I had in the past. Uh, my uh, annual uh, get-together trip down to Galesburg, Illinois, during the Railroad Day celebration to um, stay at the house right by where the Santa the old Santa Fe main line went underneath the. Certainly. Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy main lines. Um, then the other thing I'll be doing this year is I'll uh, open up the Caboose Museum that we have here in Sturdivant. Uh, last year I had it all closed all year, but yes. uh, I figured this year I'll I'll open it at least once a month uh, mm-hmm. to kind of get things going. And uh, I may open it more than once a month depending on how things are going, but I'm going to uh, fairly shortly post... Uh, dates uh, over by the caboose uh, when we're going to have them have it open uh, but then uh, the other thing trying to get things going again with uh, the NMRA division with everything mm-hmm. being shut down Certainly. Uh, probably the most unfortunate part with our division is the the age bracket of most of our membership and not being uh, understanding technology mm-hmm uh, they can receive emails, you know, they can do base, a lot of them can do basic things on the internet, but when it came to doing a, a Zoom call or something <laughs> yes. for a meet, um, we, we had greater participation by neighboring divisions than our own division. Mm. So one of the things that we're going to kick up, uh, for our NMRA division, uh, one of the things that uh, we have is a, a video uh, lend lease library. So cool. uh, that's basically been shut down for a whole entire year. So I figured since I, if I'm going to open up the Caboose Museum, um, I'll allow the division members, if they want to borrow the DVDs from the lend lease library, they could at least come to the Caboose Museum to mm-hmm. to borrow the videos. So okay. that'll get something kicking with the division. And then probably finally, which we still have to discuss at our board meeting, hopefully uh, come October we'll have our uh, first in-person uh, division meet. Cool. Cool. So, so it, uh, pretty optimistic. Kind of, kind, of, kind of looking at things. Yeah. It uh, Well, the main thing is with, with uh, the train shows, which I've been keeping an eye on a lot of them, uh, there's a lot of the smaller ones that have slowly started starting again. But the most optimistic one is um, the Great American Train Show uh, mm-hmm. organization? Uh, they're they're kind of in they do shows kind of in the lines of Train Fest, uh, NMRA convention, uh, and some of the other larger shows around the country. So if you start seeing that they're planning on doing things, starting mm-hmm. shows in the fall, 
um, it's a pretty good sign that they feel optimistic enough to start planning these shows. And so far they have three dates planned, I believe, around the country. And they're also starting up their monthly uh, Chicagoland area uh, swap meet that they, they run. And that's all going to be starting uh, late summer, early fall. So if, if they're starting to wanting to open up uh, doing events, I think it's safe. And what one of the things we're going to probably do with the division meets is we'll have the uh, in-person, but then we'll also stream the, the event uh, via Zoom call. Hmm. That way it gives the opportunity of, for those that may not be able to or they don't feel safe enough to attend, it gives them an option of you can either go to the in-person or you can do the online. Mm. Yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting dynamic is uh, how people embrace what the return to normal will look like because I think certainly a good portion of the population has been pretty scared by what has happened. Um, And and that's one of the scarier parts, you know, for putting on train fest is the greatest amount uh, that we look at for having a successful show that either breaks even or, or makes a, a profit is by families attending, totally. you know, not non-moderators. Of course, uh, with the one post I, I did with the Train Fest Facebook uh, page of saying, you know, that we're moving forward with the planning, we'll be sending out the invites shortly. Um, there was a lot of positive response, but of course, all the, the positive response also were from the model railroad or, or train enthusiasts. So Certainly. I, I Certainly. know those, those people are, are willing <laughs> to attend, but um, hopefully we can get the families. But then again, like I, I told our, our division's uh, treasurer, I'd rather lose $20,000 putting on train fest than losing $20,000 and not putting on train fest. Certainly. Certainly. An interesting experience I had coming out here was I flew from San Jose to Las Vegas, the plane was completely packed. I mean, we had a mask mandate, but the plane was completely packed, but mainly skewed younger demographics, 20-somethings, you know, people with young children, but very much there was a whole group of people that you would normally see flying that just weren't flying. And I think that's really, that's an interesting dynamic to track over time. Uh, But yeah, I, I wish you all the best, Mike. I think, You've seen such a, a unique time in the history of this country with regards to, you know, travel, with regards to everything. And you've been in a leadership position through this period of time. So I really do enjoy chatting with you about your, your thoughts on this because I think it's very applicable just even outside the model railroading hobby. Um, and I hope you do have a, an opportunity of uh, getting some trains, in particular when TradeFest starts ramping up. I remember last year, uh, even with virtual TradeFest, you still were putting in a lot of time and obviously before um, with the real train fest as well. Do you anticipate, I mean, in terms of your local NMRA, we have Clark Cooning on. I'm going to talk to Clark class before I round up the show, but do you anticipate basically a lifetime's worth of, you know, Clark is the poster child for a lifetime's worth of service with the NMRA. Do you anticipate that you're going to be doing this stuff with the NMRA at the level that you're doing it for a long period of time? Or do you think at some stage you'll take a break from a return to the hobby as normal. I mean, you seem to have so many responsibilities with regards to your local community and the model railroading hobby, and, you know, the um, Caboose Museum, this kind of stuff. Do you think you'll need a break at some stage or are you just happy to soldier up? Um, I think I'm going to, after my term of being superintendent, 
I'll be more than happy to step back or step <laughs> away uh, from uh, a leadership role within the mm-hmm. NMRA. Uh, the biggest fear that I have within the NMRA is the age demographic. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, within our division, uh, it's a shrinking membership rate, mm-hmm. and we're not getting the younger generation. And when I mean younger generation, I'd be happy to see people in their 30s and 40s uh, join. But I'm not even seeing uh, uh, the graphic that the the previous NMRA leadership uh, was wanting to get in, into the NMRA. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot of personal opinions about that, and I don't want to drag political mud through, their, uh, through it. But uh, uh, I just have the fear that uh, if the membership rate in our division keeps on decreasing that we may have to look at merging with another or uh, dissolving our division mm. uh, and letting the the region uh, pick up the ashes. I'm hoping it doesn't come to that, but Interesting. I'm also being a realist. Um, Fair enough. We have our last election for the board of directors. Uh during the election, we had nobody willing to step up and run for uh, the board of directors. So right now, they're, we're going to have two open seats. Uh, we had another another person on the board who um, re- recently resigned. A lot of doing with uh, personal family matters going on within his life that mm-hmm. needed to be taken care of more than, than the division. But uh, I'm seeing a lot of lack of volunteerism yeah. uh, within the division. It's uh, a difficult it's, problem. Yeah. It, it's it's. Uh, I know Clark's always uh, cheered me on on with everything, but uh, it's also very uh, disheartening knowing at one time how great uh, the division was and Certainly. how people would volunteer left and right uh, without even asking uh, for yes. volunteers. So I just I guess I'll leave it at that and very real. Uh, let, let let you go on to Clark to pick up the pieces. <laughs> To round out the show, well, Mike, a pleasure as always. I Look, I was teasing you. My view is that uh, thank you for everything that you do with regards to the recording. I'm sure I'll I'll get some audio from you when you have time to, uh, you know, to, to do that kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, really good catching up with you. Thanks for calling in today. Clark Cooning, we have exactly, uh, we have now uh, two odd minutes. My wife is taking me out for sushi at an old sushi oh, restaurant. Sure, that really yeah, like. sure, rub it in. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> as you know, I'll be dining in a fine dining establishment very quickly. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit. Four months have gone by. There's been a lot going on in the hobby. Obviously, the rise of Gordy celebrated through uh, Show 200, but really... Fascinating that he's now getting down to nuts and bolts um, and realizing actually the, the problem space um, very much more now he's on the NMRA board. Uh, so it was great catching up with him. What's going on with you in the hobby? Summer obviously means a shift towards boats, fishing, escaping into the wilderness. What are your plans in uh, over the summer months looking like? Well, uh, just exactly that. Uh, you know, the COVID um, in Canada, it's 
the COVID approach here is very much different than the United States. Mm. Uh, there are no train shows. There are nothing. You you just don't go to any public events. Uh, yes. Um, I'm very surprised at, at some of the things that are being done in the United States. But anyway, that's... It's economics more than anything for a lot of them, that's, though, right? Yeah, so, and, and, yeah. you know, it's a different mindset, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But uh, as far as myself, I've been busy... Uh, I've been on this other Zoom podcast called New Tracks with mm-hmm. uh, Jim Kello. Certainly. And he does it uh, Wednesdays and uh, Saturdays. As a matter of fact, tonight we are starting a build-along on building a downtown deco uh, plaster kit, which I'm leading. So Wonderful. that'll start tonight. And this particular and- Zoom call, I mean, this is something that you, you've been a strong advocate for the gentleman coming on Model Rail Radio and similarly – Potentially, although I'm never really sure what I actually do in the hobby, um, me uh, also attending the Zoom call. Can you talk a little bit about seeing that thing from, you know, I guess it's been, what, four months since he floated it, maybe a bit more, maybe six months now. Yeah, um, he's had some great guests on, to be honest. Uh, Bill Neal is, mm-hmm. uh, and he's all, Bill is also a, a board member of the NMRA, but he does a fantastic uh, uh, layout design thing that he's been doing and on based Space for operations, but mm-hmm. really well done. And uh, Bill's a, an interesting guy, so it's nice. His clinics are really neat. Um, we had another manufacturer of uh, laser cut buildings doing a build along. Um, mm. He's just finished, and uh, so it's been it's been fun. Um, and uh, I also have been involved with a, a fairly reincarnated division uh in western new york which was basically mm. based in the buffalo area certainly of and uh i've been helping out with doing some clinics on there and uh and then art fahey at uh, bar mills and mm-hmm. if you want to watch an entertaining and very informative uh sort of clinic um bar mills uh on the first monday of every month is doing a live clinic and uh, gosh jack Jack Ellis and those guys are on and uh, very good. And uh, they asked me to come on this Monday, uh, whatever the first Monday is. uh, I think it's the fifth. And so I'm going to be doing that. So I've been busy. And, and, you know, due to your prodding, I've, I bought one camera for doing um, uh, sort of demos and stuff, but I wasn't very happy with it. So I have Mm -hmm. another one coming. Believe me. Believe (laughs) me. uh, so that's been uh, good, and I've been working cool. on my layout like crazy, trying to get some water scenes done. Mm. I posted a couple pictures to the to the uh, website, to the Facebook site. So, um, and it's starting to warm up here. We got most, if I would say, about ninety percent of our snow is gone. Gosh! It last week it was in the sixties, so it was uh, quite uh, comfortable outside and cleaning up and. So uh, once summer comes, it'll be a different uh, change. But uh, um, and up here, COVID COVID vaccines are getting out. I think they're down to the seventy year olds. Mm. So I've got uh, another ten years to wait. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so hopefully we'll get all that. Everybody will get vaccinated, and we can, you know, North America and the world can return to some kind of normalcy. Um, but, uh, I'm kind of looking forward just to being outside after being cooped up all winter. So believe me, Clark, a pleasure as always. I'll, uh, I, uh yeah. And I hope I, I followed your, 
the escapades <laughs> of your moving. Believe I me, the new normal smiled. is very I real. I cried for oh you. Oh my goodness. I cheered for you. What you might have missed um, out so- on is the house in San Jose when half of it had left, including my wife and the cats, I had no heating and I had no utensils. And it was very strange living in a place for a week where, although I was living off takeaway, which hardly is suffering, um, it was very strange, particularly the lack of heating, was I'd get, kind of get into bed around, uh, you know, sunset. Uh, quilts, thankfully, Michelle's a quilter, so we did have, although she took a majority of the quilts, I had two quilts, <laughs> kind of up to my nose, uh, just sitting there thinking, this is really civilization. But in contrast, this house is... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know w- w- when and if you'll get to Las Vegas in some time, but if you ever do. Um, it's interesting. I was following James Wright as well. James Wright similarly is getting a, a palatial home. I'm assuming it's somewhere on the East Coast. It looked a little bit East Coast. I know he never discloses his location anymore. Uh, but, yeah, I'm similarly in a place where it's uh, it's a real schlep to get downstairs and actually get to the front door in this place. It's very badly designed. <laughs> anyway, Clark, pleasure as always. I- <laughs> you you and uh, Michelle go have a good lunch. Uh, I'll have a couple of pieces go, of fatty yellowtail on you. Please don't think of me. I'm going to fatty yellowtail. Delectable. And Delectable. We'll, like uh, we'll probably talk to you this afternoon. Most definitely. Most definitely. Looking forward to, uh, to chatting to you more, actually, this afternoon. I think we've got a lot of topics to cover. I'll talk to you soon, Clyde. Take care. Have a great afternoon. So one final thing that I'll be remiss to say, and I don't know, I don't know if there's any possibility. Let's see. There might be a possibility. The My Mount Models Layout Design Contest is obviously coming to a sunset currently. We have some, a couple of really good entries. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to say that people might be unseated based on this. I need to get together with Ron Kleiss and actually work out, oh, if there was an ooh from someone who has yet to submit, I would think about submitting. Um, anyway, uh, I'm yet to get together with Ron Class and actually go through the uh, couple of entries we have currently. My hope is maybe a couple more entries before the end of the contest uh, in a few days' time. But that is to be done. I think once we're done with that, it's pretty well... Uh, kind of like we're taking the summer off. <laughs> the twins are pretty amazing. The amount of... I don't know what one would call it, like just video, sheer 3D video imaging that is available to these kids today before they're born is really very extraordinary. So we have two very well-defined personalities uh, before they've even been born, uh, which is very curious. That will be taking place. And then somewhere out of the uh, the smoldering ruins that are left by that, I will resume Model Rail Radio as this recording has demonstrated. It is wonderful to catch up with friends uh, and have good discussions, which is what this podcast is all about. Thanks to everyone for calling in this morning. We are doing another one this afternoon, so we might have a return of some callers. And thanks to all the folks for listening in. Good morning.